So just a reminder, we're in the middle of uh, this series that we've entitled Called Out, kind of based on uh, the idea and um, from First Peter that we are called out of darkness and into uh, his wonderful light. We are called out of sin and into uh, his healing. We're called out of uh, just the darkness of those things and into what he is doing. It's not necessarily that God is calling us out uh, in terms of um, confronting us, but it is us being called out of the world uh, and to be uh, into what it is to be God's people. And so uh, we've been thinking about the first season of that was us thinking of the contrary voices that we've been hearing. Contrary voices of culture, contrary voices of maybe our upbringing, contrary voices that uh, we just, you know, that kind of dialogue that we have with ourselves, those, those things that tend to push against and push in an opposite direction of what God is saying. And so if that's where we began, it was fitting that then we would turn rather than a contrary voice, but to God's voice. And that God's voice is the one that defines who we are. It's God's voice who says uh, that we are the beloved of God. It's God's voice that calls us to draw near and hear from him. And we're in the middle of Hebrews as a way of doing that. Not only is it a book that calls us to draw near, but it's a book uh, that we can just sit in and be at the feet of Jesus, that he can speak to us. Um, and come up, what's coming next is us and what it looks like. What are the implications for us as God's people? How do we become the church, the church that Hebrews and others in Scripture talk about? And then how are we truly those who are a blessing to the community. And so that that's kind of the big picture. Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, the first three verses, very familiar verses. If you've been at VBS, maybe in your upbringing, you might know a song or two about this passage. Uh, it's, it's a well-known passage, which is great, but it actually makes it much harder to preach because uh, you're like, okay, yeah, I got that. Um, and so uh, if you might be one that says, you know what, I've heard this one before. I want to challenge you that the Spirit of God is at work through his word. Regardless if you ha- have, it, have heard it, have memorized it, could recite it back to me, and maybe have even taught on it yourself. Does God have something for us to hear today from his word? I guarantee you he does. And so Hebrews chapters 12, we're going to start in verse 1, just look at the first three verses. Would you stand with me? Just as we submit to the word of God and surrender to him, we want to hear his voice, not the, uh, so many contrary voices around us. The writer of Hebrews, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight And the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Uh, God, would you take your word? Would you meet us in that? Would you meet us right where we are in the propensity and in, in our tendency to become weary, exhausted, where we just want to coast, or like chapter 2 talks about, that we just drift along? 
Father, maybe even some are at the point where they have just maybe even thrown up their hands and are thinking of just completely walking away. Father, I pray that your word would speak to us this morning. Father, I pray for those in this room who have never come to the place where they trust in Jesus. God, I pray that their fatigue in this life, that you would use that to drive them to Christ, draw them to him, uh, draw them to Jesus, that they might know his power, his goodness, his love for them. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So this comes not from any experience of my own, uh, but... Um, so we're going to talk about marathons, right? Okay, marathons, 26.2 miles. I may look like a runner, but I am not, okay? Uh, a world record uh, for, a, for a marathon is two hours and one minute and, and some change, okay? Uh, two, two hours and one minute. That's a pace of four minutes and 38 seconds a mile for 26 miles, okay? Right. Anyway, the average man uh, runs a marathon in four hours and 22 minutes, okay? Uh, So that's more like a 10-minute mile, you know? Uh, You're in that range. Training for a marathon takes months. Uh, It's usually even to the point that if you're a beginning marathoner, as you train for a marathon, you will never run a marathon in your training. That seems odd, but if you actually run a marathon in your training, the common thought is you'll never run the marathon because it was so hard, (laughs) okay? And so it's too discouraging. And so, you know, you'll train maybe 16 up to 19 miles, but you'll stop there. Uh, And because 26 is one of those just awful things, because I've been told by people that have done this, at mile 20 or 21, it's the wall. You know, your body is like, "Uh -uh, (laughs) uh-uh, we're done. Your brain is saying, okay, man, is this worth it? You know, uh, can I go one more step? You know, this pain, it could stop right now if I stop running. And at at that mile marker, just uh, everything, mind, body, soul, is saying no more. And then you break through that wall, <laughs> somebody breaks through that wall, right? And then I've, I'm told that there's this euphoria uh, when you break through the no more place and then you just have this just runner's high, okay? Uh, and it, it's the sense of an endurance race compared to a sprint. It's a sense of when everything in you at mile, whatever, 16, 20, 21 says, you know what, you just need to stop. It's that idea that the writer of Hebrews has in mind when he says that we would run the race that is set before us, the race marked out for us, the race that's in front of us. In the the Greek word, the root there uh, is, is agon, okay? And from which we get our word agony, all right? So, uh... It's this sense of intense struggle. It's actually not always used to talk about a race, you know, kind of agonizing to win. It's, it's really any agonizing struggle in competition. So sometimes it's talk, used to talk about boxing and wrestling uh, or some intense workout. Uh, that's the, the sense of um, 
We're, we're not there yet, but that's okay. Um, uh, it's the sense that uh, we're really running this race. And so in, in verse 4, uh, you see that in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood. That, that word uh, struggle there kind of denotes more than just a race, right? That, that, that kind of denotes some sort of some battle, some sort of struggle. Verse 11 of chapter 12, which we're going to get to next, that discipline seems painful. Uh, but you are trained by it. That word training uh, is, is the root that we get our word gymnasium from. You know, where you go somewhere, you go to the gym uh, to work out, to become strong, to, uh, to, to build yourself up. And so the idea of this race that's marked out is not just, you know, uh, a runner with his running shorts and, you know, and he's out. It's the agonizing struggle of competition. And so the, the agony, an agonizing struggle of that, and in the middle of that, how easily are we prone to give up? You know what? Because this is a metaphor of life, that, that we're running a race of uh, a life of faith, a, a race, an agonizing struggle. What's our tendency? comes in verse 3. Verse 3, you know, to, it, it's, a, it's a, uh, a call to consider him, Jesus, uh, who, who suffered under hostility, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay, weary or faint-hearted. So the idea of weariness, physical weariness, being worn out, no more energy, nothing left in the tank. We, we've all been there, right? Uh, that's the idea of weariness. Um, but faint-hearted is a very closely related word to weary, but it's different. It's actually a combination of two Greek words, uh, one being weary and the other being soul. The NAS uh, would, would say it that don't lose heart rather than us being uh, faint-hearted. Uh, that, that, it's, that we would, not only are we just physically exhausted, but we are at the place of just at the core of our soul, we're just undone. There's nothing left. We are weary at the place of the heart and of the soul so that we don't become weary, so that we don't become weary in the soul. The writer of Hebrews lays out what it looks like for us to run the race with perseverance. And so since life, uh, uh, the life of faith, is a life of endurance, what's the first thing uh, that uh, we have to get in our minds? There's probably a lot, but this first one we're going to talk about is that we have to prepare for a marathon and not a sprint, okay? We've got to prepare for a marathon and not a sprint. The idea of endurance is mentioned three times in these verses. The first one is for us. Okay, in, in verse 1, let's run with endurance or perseverance. Then there's two that are ascribed to Jesus. Jesus is endurance. And endurance is uh, this word of, of us kind of staying or standing or remaining. That we would endure, that we would not be moved and pushed out, but that we would continue. But the word in Greek has this... Uh, the great prefix, or prefix, sorry, uh, the great prefix, um, hyper. And so it's a hyper-staying. So it's not just, hey, stay here. It is the, a hyper-version of standing, a hyper-version of staying. Uh, it, it's, um, you know, any version of overabundance, we apply the prefix hyper to, right? If somebody is hypersensitive, 
right? They're just excessively sensitive and the littlest thing they, they kind of react to. If we're hyperventilating, right? It's, you know, we're just breathing at a rapid rate uh, and at an abnormally rapid rate. So hyper is an excessive version of something. And so the call is for us to stand, endure, and stay, but in an excessive fashion. That that's what it is. And so when the writer of Hebrews is talking in verse 12 that we would run with this excessive continuance, this endurance, uh, it's picking up the theme that he ended chapter 10 on. So chapter 10, verse 36, before he goes on the excursus of Hebrews 11, which talks about all the heroes of the faith that have walked by faith, he says this in verse 36, "...for you have need of endurance." You have a need to, to like hypervigilantly stand and stay so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So if you are in Christ, if you know him and have placed your faith in him for salvation, there is a need for us to continue and endure. But yet we all know the struggle. We all know our, our propensity to become weary and burdened, faint-hearted, and give up. And even more, what does our culture say? We live in a culture of sprinters, right? You know, we cram for tests. We love fast food. Uh, we, we, you know, everything in our life is, what can I do now to get an immediate payoff? And we all know uh, that most things of value uh, cannot be attained without endurance or struggle, right? Uh, you know, college. You know, why do employers want to hire somebody that's gone through college? It's honestly not because you've learned so much in those four years that they couldn't possibly teach you. It's the fact that you've endured. K through 12, students have endured through all of school. It, it, it's, there's an endurance and a perseverance that matters, uh, right? When, we're, when we were looking um, at... Uh, for interviews, you know, people that have endured and, and, and gone through things, a, a, a um, you know, just kind of a stick-to-itiveness in their life, it matters. But endurance brings a lot of things into, into view, okay? And, and the word agony kind of gets us close. So uh, endurance brings suffering. Endurance is a long time. Endurance means that we probably can't see the finish line. Endurance, in the midst of it, we're awful, uh, oftentimes easily discouraged. The initial joy of the beginning of, of whatever we've started turns into sheer grit. But with all of that, the payoff at the end is unbelievable. Word used on purpose. Not just amazing, unbelievable. So what the payoff is, what the reward is of endurance, is, the, is truly a fruit of our faith. It, it's something that, uh, that you know, in our, in our own mind, in our own heart, you know what? That payoff can't be that good to, to endure this struggle, and that's the life of faith. The life of faith says that God is at work in a way that I, by myself, can't comprehend and can't put my finger on, but I trust. The payoff at the end is unbelievable. At the end, we'll look back, but in the midst of the running, in the midst of the race, we must look 
forward. And so, so verse 1 is a tricky one if you, um, you kind of miss what the writer of Hebrews is doing here. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, okay, what he's referring to is this litany of, of people throughout Scripture that has wa- have walked by faith in, uh, faith in their God. Okay? And so they're the witnesses that are surrounding us. They're the witnesses that speak to us. They're the witnesses, their life, just like Abel, remember? Uh, Though he died, he still speaks. And so uh, don't miss that the point is not go be like Abel, go be like David, go be like Abraham, go be like these. That, that's not the point that he's driving to. The point he's driving to is there's many people that have walked by faith before you. They have endured in their faith, facing very difficult struggles. So it's kind of remember these people, but look at Jesus. It's not look at what Abraham did and let's go be like Abraham because he's a sinner just like you and me. He needs the grace of God. But it is remember those who have walked, but it is look to Jesus. Look to the, the one who has gone before us. So there's this interesting uh, concept in, uh, in our world in athletics. So back uh, before the 1950s, when, uh, for runners, what was the, the mark that nobody could get to? For a one-mile race, what was the time that nobody could break, okay? It was the four-minute mile, okay? The four-minute mile. And uh, the four-minute mile, nobody could, could even fathom somebody breaking that until Roger Bannister did it in 1954, 1954, the first person in the history of the world to run a four-minute mile was Roger Bannister. Nobody thought it was even possible before that. The next year, um, something like 38 people broke a four-minute mile the next year. It was thought impossible for all of human history, and then 38 more people do it the next year. Since that, a thousand different people have broken a four-minute mile interesting you know that we're preparing for a marathon that we think is difficult to consider those who have gone before us and to consider jesus who is the forerunner the founder the author and perfecter of our faith the ones that have gone before allow us and encourage us that we can continue so if we're in a marathon then uh, what is needed, you know, since life, the life of faith is a life of endurance, we need to make the race easier, okay? We need to make the race easier. So what is, what do the scriptures call us to do in the uh, second half of verse 1? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run the race with endurance, the race marked out for us. To lay aside something is to put it down. Okay, this word is often used of ones that are put in prison, you know, not necessarily laying them aside, but to put something in prison and kind of lock it away. When uh, the people were at the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, they, they took their cloaks and they laid them down at the feet of Saul, who was the executioner. 
it was kind of an act of like, we, we like this. Okay, so one is locking one away in prison. Another is take your cloak off and, and put it down. And so to, for us to lay aside is to, uh, to, uh, to basically put these things off, to throw them off, the NIV would say, uh, to lay them aside. Okay, we would throw off our burdens and throw off our sin. So it basically is us becoming less encumbered. So think of the, you know, every four years people watch swimming um, in the Olympics. And so think of the Olympic swimmers, right? Okay, what do they do to become less encumbered? Okay, about a decade or two ago, they they wore, you know, Speedos, right? Uh, So now they have figured out that more full, you know, kind of like running cyclist suits are the way to have no encumbrance in their race they they shave uh you know oftentimes shaving a head or shaving legs they'll wear a cap to cover up their hair why so that they are not encumbered in any way in their race they put off they throw off they put away anything that encumbers them Caitlin and I were driving in this morning and we rode by uh, a guy who was um a cyclist and he had the whole gear on right and uh you know, it looks like he's, you know, in the Tour de France. Why? Because he doesn't want anything to catch any wind, so he's aerodynamic. Think about cars. They make them not boxy, but, but with, uh, with a curve or with a certain way that the wind flies over, so it's aerodynamic. Anything that would hold us up, the writer of Hebrews says, lay it aside and throw it off. What's interesting is I think we can all fathom what our burdens are. What, what burdens you when you walk in and think about your life this morning? You know, there's a lot of things that just weigh on us, right? The things we think about, the things we churn on, the things we wonder about, the things we get discouraged over, uh, those aren't hard to come up with. Uh, but he also says to throw off our sin. And I want to submit to you, I don't think it's necessarily one specific sin or not, because the way he talks about it is anything that entangles us or clings closely to us. Um, and so uh, I have one of my daughters that loves to give hugs, okay? And sometimes if she's on the ground, just laying there and I walk by, she'll try to hug my ankles, okay? I'm a lot bigger than her, but hugging ankles doesn't work, right? What happens to dad when ankles get hugged, okay? <laughs> right? I'm on the ground with her. And, uh, and so the idea of being entangled, it doesn't have to be, it, it could be the littlest thing. It could be, doesn't have to be the massive uh, thing in our life. That It could be any little uh, rebellion in our heart against God. God says to throw it off, put it away, because with it, a race of endurance is nearly impossible. So I've been in, uh, with, walking through some of the guys in GRIP uh, this semester, and uh, we just came out of First Peter. And, uh, and, and what's been striking me is the sense of my need to be purposeful and intentional in my walk uh, with the Lord, and it kind of ties in right here. What is it for us to throw something off or put it away? First thing that it is not is passive. This is an active move 
of God or of God's people following the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it's in First Peter five. It says that we should be watchful because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Because of that, be watchful. In Psalm 5, uh, I was with the middle school guys, and we were talking about uh, the psalmist saying, in, in the morning, he offers sacrifices and he watches. So like he's before, the God, before his God in worship, but his eyes are open expectantly to what God is going to do. This idea of putting things away, pu- putting and throwing off burdens, is a very eye-open purposeful, intentional process of God, of God's people before him. Chapter 2 talks about us drifting, you know, like we're just down somewhere else in the river and we don't even know it. This is the opposite. This is us considering. This is us taking real uh, stock, paying real attention. This is us saying, God, what is in my life that is weighing me down? God, what is in my life that I love more than you, that I am serving more than you, that I think is more valuable than following you? And God, through his Holy Spirit, will reveal those things. And I believe if we're asking, he will reveal them in gentleness. And how do we throw those things off is to ask God to come in and drive them out. And so... Uh, so how do we make the, uh, the race easier is to throw things off that are hindering us and trapping us. But then I think the most important thing in this whole passage, life is a life of faith. It's a life of endurance. We have to look beyond the struggle. So when things get hard, what do we look at? We look at the thing that's hard right in front of us, the difficult financial situation, the difficult health thing, the difficult relationship, and all of those different things. But ultimately, we are called to look to the one who has gone before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so, uh, so the move is not just, you know what? Uh, go out there and endure because you've got the strength. The way we endure, the way we stand is to look at the one who has gone before us, to look at our Savior. So those two words, um, if you look in different versions of the Bible, um, look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It seems like every version has a different translation of those two words because they're pretty obscure words in the Greek. Uh, the the idea of the first one, um, so take all of the translations together, and the idea of him being the founder, okay, uh, is the, that he is the pioneer. He's the, the author. He's the initiator. Some places w- would describe it that he's the one that's gone before us. He's the trailblazer. He's the guy with the machete going through uh, the, the mess of the forest. He's the one that's gone before us. He's the author, the beginning, uh, the one uh, who uh, is founding of our faith. But then he's also uh, the finisher or the perfecter or the completer of our faith. So not only is, the one, is he the one that we trust in, he's the one that has fulfilled all that we need to fulfill. You could say um, uh, some of these words point to a hero, point to a champion. 
You know, and in Greek mythology, uh, in Greek culture, there's tons of those kind of things, right? You know, Hercules or uh, other gods that, that, that come and are heroes and champions on behalf of the people, you know, the, the, or, or maybe a great warrior comes and, and we're, we have no hope unless he wins. I don't think the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is Hercules. Don't, mis, don't misguide that one. But it's the general sense in their culture that they're used to their hope being tied to somebody else. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one that we, that began uh, and begins our faith, and he is the one that we uh, can rest in because he has completed it. Again, that word perfect is really the word, is meaning kind of the idea of completion, not just without stain or blemish, the idea of perfecting something, like that he, lo- that he became perfect earlier in, chap- uh, in chapter 2 is what it says. Not that Jesus was imperfect and he became perfect. He learned what obedience was because he went through what it is to live on this earth. Uh, and in a sense, completed our faith. And so to look beyond the struggle is to look at the one who has actually endured it. He's the one uh, that is our promise. He's the one that is our future. And so what did he do? What did Jesus do? It says it here in the second half of, of two, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Let's consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And so when we look at Jesus, uh, what do we see? We see one who himself has endured. Well, it, himself that had the excessive version of staying and continuing. Here's, here's the way not to apply this. Jesus endured. I'm going to go be like Jesus and endure too. What's flawed about that is that you aren't Jesus, and neither am I. What would Jesus do is fatally flawed, because if he's just our example, I can't do what Jesus did. That's the good news of the gospel. You and I can't do it, but he has already done it. So what would Jesus do, or even in his steps— That's an old school book, okay? Uh, Why is that fatally flawed? Because again, Jesus is our great example. Let's go be like Jesus. Now, becoming like Jesus isn't bad, but if you miss the gospel of his grace and you miss the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and you just go be like Jesus, you will fail miserably. That's why we need one who has is not only the author, but the finisher, the completer, the one who has gone before us, the one who said, you know what? The joy set before him is what would motivate Jesus to endure. What was the joy set before him? Is that you and I, in our weakness, in our rebellion against God, would be brought right into the very presence and into relationship with God the Father. The joy set before him of all of those things called him to go and endure such hostility. And not only that, but what's interesting, the writer of Hebrews even kind of puts it somewhat differently. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, but what's the nature of the cross? Is it just the suffering? 
the physical suffering and death. No, despising its shame. What was the nature of the cross? Um, early, early writers, they would say that it was even horrific to mention the cross in your home. It was the most vile thing in Roman culture. Like, if you wanted to talk about the thing that was heinous above all things, you talked about the cross of crucifixion. And there our Lord hangs. In open, public spectacle, naked, and enduring the shame of the most horrific thing in culture that could be could be done that's where and despising that pushing against that he looked beyond the struggle he looked beyond the struggle to the joy that was set before him and what's awesome is that his joy that he brings becomes our joy he brings his joy and we get to share in it and so uh, it, it's the sense for us to look to Jesus, to look to, to look to that joy and that inheritance that he offers allows us to continue and not become weary and faint-hearted right now. Everything in us says, when it's hard, stop. When it's hard, begin to coast, quit, slow down. It's just too hard, give up. But the reality of what we are promised in Jesus who has gone before us and endured because of what we have been promised, he, the writer of Hebrews is saying, what is your biggest problem has already been dealt with. So regardless of what happens in the circumstance that's right in front of you, you have one, uh, you have a, a savior, a, a forerunner who has accomplished for you what you were unable to accomplish. You are guaranteed the joy that Jesus was ushered into. It ought to inspire us. It ought to give us hope. It ought to actually help us endure, but not because of our strength, but because of what he is doing in our midst. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So when you want and are at the place of becoming weary and wanting to give up, you're weary at the place of the heart and the soul. Look at Jesus. He's the one that has already endured in your future and your joy is wrapped up in him and what he has done. He's our champion. He's our hero. He's our savior. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in him that we have hope. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, take your word. Um, use it for your glory. Uh, God, I, I pray that um, in all of these things, uh, God, familiar refrains but God, would you do something marvelous through them? Would you do something in us that would surprise us? Uh, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you cause us to walk out not weary, not discouraged in the soul, but God, you are the one who endured, and so you are with us in our suffering. You're the one who went through all things, so we, you know what it is uh, to face trials. Father, I pray that we would look for the joy that's beyond the struggle, just like you did. God, I pray that that's not natural. God, would you do that in us? Would you frame and form in us that, God, that, that we might come to share in the joy that you uh, entered into, the joy that you brought about? Father, I pray that our life would be found 
in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Uh, God, help us to keep our eyes on him. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.